I was told to wait one second, and I imagine that's for the sound to come on. So it's good to be with you this morning, and it's true that uh, I've I've been a friend of Ebenezer for many years. Whoa, and so the sound has come on. Uh, It was funny this morning when I came in, uh, knowing that I would be able to see a number of familiar faces of friends around the area. The the staff, we all met together for prayer, and... um, and, and, and Isaac was asking me, how do, I, how do I introduce you? Well, that took me back to a moment. Uh, uh, I've been at the seminary for 11 years teaching, and uh, one of the, very, the very first lecture that I had, I had a, a group of Korean students uh, sitting at one of the front tables, and uh, as I was beginning to speak, they looked at me very strangely, and uh, they, I finally stopped, and I said, what, did I say something? And they said, well, what do we call you? I said, oh, okay, that's very helpful. You can call me Lyle. Well, then I discovered very quickly that my name is almost impossible for them to say. And so they were, they were, they were working it over. They couldn't quite get it right. And so I looked at them just to alleviate the uh, embarrassment of the moment. I said, your majesty will do just fine. <laughs> and they looked at me and they said, oh, your majesty. And I'm, <laughs> oh, I finally, I'm home. And uh, so I have a whole group of students at the seminary that, uh, you know, it's really nice to go to work. Uh, when I go, how are you this morning, Your Majesty? You may be seated. Um, my son actually came to visit me one time. Uh, he was passing by on work, and I took him into the collegium, and a number of the students were there. And I walked in, and they said, ah, oh, Your Majesty, is this your son? And my son was looking at me like, what did they call you? That is so wrong. And I looked at him, I said, yes, this is the prince. Uh, so, but anyhow, you can call me Lyle, or Pastor Lyle. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we would thank you for the opportunity this day, especially, Lord, as we are drawn into remembrance of you. And Lord, it is a remembrance that brings us back home, and it reminds us of the things that matter most, and It, Lord, orients our lives to be able to live with purpose and meaning. So as we prepare for the Lord's table and, Lord, as we prepare for a new year, I pray that uh, our hearts might be obedient to your calling and open to your care. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I was going to begin this morning with a little bit of a contest. Uh, asking uh, to see who could be the first person to open to the book of Haggai. I did not intend for the first chapter to actually be read, but I am so impressed. You got Shealtiel right, you got Jehozadak right, you got, uh, let's see, Zerubbabel right. I mean, I am really impressed, and it came multiple times there. So uh, uh, you already have it in hand, and you know now that we are in Haggai chapter 1. Let me just read the a few verses that you'll find in verses 5 through 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now I would suspect that there are some people here thinking, what version of the Bible do you have? What is a Haggai? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I have that book in my Bible. Well, this is maybe my way of introducing you to that section of your Bible where the pages may, uh, in fact, still be a little bit fresh and clean. 
Uh, it's right about the middle. It's in a little maze of books that are commonly known as the Minor Prophets. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, they are clustered into just one book, actually, and it's called the Twelve. And they are bundled together primarily because of their brevity, and together they bring the Old Testament to a close. Now, I will confess to you, I just love these 12 books. Because if you read them carefully, you will quickly find them to be remarkably current and disturbingly relevant. They offer a full exposure of God's justice and holiness and judgment and mercy and comfort and salvation. They are pithy and they are to the point. There are no wasted words in them and they strike directly at the heart. Now, I hope you heard those words from Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, especially this. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, there's a reason why I chose Haggai this morning. It's the beginning of a new year. And while I'm not really one for New Year's resolutions, uh, this year actually has turned out to be a little bit different. Over the last week, my wife and I took our whole family, our, our two sons, our daughter, their spouses, and all of the grandkids down to Phoenix, Arizona, where we rented a house, uh, <laughs> 11 of us under one roof, help me, um, and we're visiting my mother. And there got colds, and I thank Grant for getting a cold just to make me feel at home this morning. <clears throat> In the midst of all the chaos of that week, we had very long and very significant moments to reflect on life and then what matters most. And they, and they came especially at night, uh, where after the wee ones were finally tucked away, uh, we had a chance to, as Haggai puts it, consider our ways. To do it together, my wife and I, my, my kids, their uh, husbands and, and uh, their husband and their wives, and then reflect really on what matters most. Let's be honest, such moments are really a very rare gift when we think of it in the speed of our lives. But let's also face it that without moments of reflection, we do tend to stumble along aimlessly in life where, in fact, God intends us to move forward with a sense of purpose and mission and direction, the type of things that only God can really give. So it's good for us to be able to set aside a time, maybe a moment like this in this worship, to recalibrate the focus of our life, both as individuals and as a man or as a woman of God, but also as a church, and begin to ask ourselves that question. Just what am I doing? Just what are we doing and why? And this is precisely the moment that we find in Haggai chapter 1. So let me set up the scene by giving a little context. The way the 12 minor prophets were organized in the Bible is a little bit chaotic. As far as the timeline goes, the first nine of those books are all jumbled up, not in a time sequence at all. It is only when you get to the last three books, beginning with Haggai, that they begin to fall into a sequence. And there's, a, there's some degree of symbolism in this. You see, in the first nine prophets, they were sent to Israel during a time of extreme turbulence, of war and destruction and ultimately exile. And the, and the voice of those prophets, uh, were, they were crying out warnings uh, as the armies of Assyria and Babylon swept over the land and then dragged God's people out of their homes and off into dark and distant places. The first nine books swirl in turmoil. But a moment came, as promised by God, when the Babylonians were themselves conquered by the Persians. And in the year 538 B.C., and 
Trust me, this will come in important in just a moment. 538 BC, their king, the Persian king, Cyrus, led by the Spirit of God, freed the children of Israel to return to Jerusalem. Now that story is found in the book of Ezra. Uh, God's people were finally, after a long and painful exile, released to return home. And they were charged with really only one order by that king. Rebuild your temple. And from Haggai to Malachi, God provides a steady, stable stream of encouragement to restore his people to a sense of purpose. And it's all centered on that one command, rebuild the temple. Because you see, it was time for them to start all over again. It was time for them to renew a fresh relationship with God and put him at the forefront of all of life's priorities and then follow him in obedience, allowing God then to sort out all the rest of their lives. Now, as we enter 2014, maybe it's time to measure our priorities once again. And maybe it's a time for us to remember just what we know to be true and, and gather our lives around it. In times like this, you remember how your relationship with God is what makes all the difference in life. It is what energizes your priorities and it guides all of your pursuits. You may remember in the considering your ways how God has in fact called you to live a life of meaning and purpose and service. But you may also, in that memory, realize what it is like to get lost along the way. To surrender your sense of purpose to what someone has called the tyranny of the urgent. And all those things that demand your attention and affection and end up ruling your life, the urgent things. And it happens to people, and it happens to churches. It's happened to me, and I'm sure it has happened to you. But thank God, he he happens to care enough to be able to step in front of us to stop us and offer us a new start, an intervention, if you will, to renew our sense of purpose and mission and not just be, uh, and not just be the, the people that God wants to be, but the people at large that he wants us to be. Now, when you open the book of Haggai, that is what you get. This is an intervention. God is giving his people a fresh start, so here we go. One of the remarkable features about this book is that it is marked by a sense of timing. In the, in the two chapters, Haggai delivers several specific messages. Each of them are penned to a very specific date on the calendar. You might want to mark down the dates as I give them to you. In the, it, it, the first appears in verse 1. There we read, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take a deep breath. Now let me pause for just a moment to mark the data, that date on the calendar. By modern reckoning, that date would have been August 31st, the year 520 B.C., August 31st. Let's see, that would be what, uh, 2014 plus 520, that's what, 2,530-some years ago this last August 30th, the, uh, 31st, that this prophecy came to Haggai. Now, we can thank the, prof, uh, the Persians for this. Cyrus had died, Darius is king, and the Persians are keeping records. Now, what I want you to see is what those records show. Bear with me. Ben, depending upon how one calculates the years of exile, they came to the end in 535 B.C. 
uh, with the order to return, 535 B.C., and now it's been 15 years that have passed since the people have been freed and sent on a mission to return to Jerusalem with just one command, rebuild the temple. Go back home, get on with your lives, but do just one thing first, rebuild the temple. But 15 years had passed. And a prophet arrives, which would have been a day to remember since no prophet had actually spoken since Ezekiel or Daniel in the exile. And when this one does, this guy named Haggai, the words are startling. He walks up to the leaders of the day, he looks around and he says in verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come. 15 years has gone by. The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. You see, what that first group of people returning from the exile, they had come, they were all fired up with enthusiasm. They had, in fact, done just a little bit of building. They had started with an altar. They had laid out a few foundations. And that was about it. For any number of reasons, they had lost interest and they had moved on. History records they had opposition. People and friends and neighbors who did not want them getting serious about this new relationship with God. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Someone who's threatened by your relationship with God? Someone who is determined to stamp out any hint or whisper of your faith. If they were going to rebuild the temple, it was going to mean hard work through some opposition. Besides, there were other pressing needs that had come in the way. The tyranny of the urgent, as I mentioned. I've got a life, God... You can wait. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. I've got things to do. Yeah, I've got a second chance, but God, you have to understand if I set you aside. Have you ever been tempted by that thought? I'm humbled to be able to say that I have. It's a temptation that we all face, especially after a season that has meant more work, more suspense, more effort, and maybe even more weariness for each one of us. If I were to ask you if anyone here is familiar with the temptation to put God on hold, I would not be surprised with a show of hands. You may have never said it out loud, but God does hear your inner thoughts. I know you've been saying the time hasn't come for the Lord's house to be built, but the time isn't right. I have other things to do. Maybe someday. Maybe someday I'll get back to it, but I can't right now. Opening Haggai, 15 years have gone by, and the prophet speaks that the time has come for God to remedy the situation, and he does it with just a few steps to renew his people. The first is really quite simple. He sends a wake-up call. Some would call it the first steps of reality therapy, intervention, as I've said where we lay things out on the table. In verse 2, he says, God says, I know what you've been thinking. You don't have time for me. Verse 3, let's see what you do have then time for. Then the word of the Lord came through Haggai. Notice there's been a little bit of pause. Now another introduction. And you have to think about the words hitting home. God knows. Oh my goodness. I thought I've been able to escape him for 15 years. No, 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 no. He knows what you've been thinking. And he knows that, that, that you've been thinking to yourselves, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? 
What have they been doing over those 15 years? Well, they've been working on their own homes. Simple as that. I love the picture that is here. Can you imagine wood paneling, paneled homes? Can you picture it? It is so 1970s when you think of it. There's wood paneling, I'm sure shag carpeting, you know, uh, you know, a, a big screen scroll or whatever they would have there, and, and a TV, Xbox, whatever. You get the idea. They have finally arranged for themselves something cozy and comfortable until God, or rather Haggai, as God's prophet, knocks on their door. Hey, what about me? What about us? What's happening to this heart of commitment that I've, I've offered you? God cares very much, enough to be able to send a message through a messenger and then presses it a little bit further with a call for reflection. And then he, words appear right there. Give careful thought to your ways. Underline that phrase in your heart. Haggai actually repeats it five times in just those two chapters. We have it here in verse 5, we have it again in verse 7, and in chapter 2 in verse 15, and then twice in chapter 2, verse 18. Give careful thought to your ways. Consider your ways. These words are the next step to the intervention. A call then to reflect and refocus the direction of your heart, the way in which life is taking you, and that you have chosen to follow. Over the last couple of years in my work, I've encountered a growing number of middle and senior adults who are living out what Bob Buford, who wrote a book on this a number of years ago, is entitled The Halftime Principle. These are people who have spent the first half of their lives pursuing a principle of success, and they've poured themselves into careers and into investments. But at midlife, or as Buford calls it, halftime, when they have a chance to reflect they are, remind, they are reminded of resolutions that they had made in their youth, of commitments that they had chosen to ignore, of dreams that they, that, that they had allowed to die, and the voice of God that they had muted into silence. And it's a halftime moment where then they consider their ways, and more often than not, when given the chance, it becomes an opportunity for them to recover, to refocus, and as Bob Buford writes, so having lived a life motivated by success, they now be deliberately begin to live a life of significance. From success to significance. Consider your ways. As you consider your ways, Haggai continues, you will discover and must accept a certain reality. Read on, verses 6 and 7. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. It's an incredible picture that is painted in the verses. It's like God has been collecting all of their complaints. Have you ever noticed yourselves maybe even saying this, I've never worked harder but have less to show for it? Have you ever heard that phrase? I've never put in longer hours and yet find myself so far behind. Why, well, it seems like I take one step forward, but I find myself suddenly three steps backward. You know when that happens, just turn around. Drop down to verse 9. I say, you expected much, but you see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I, God says, I blew away. I love that. Put that together with the end of verse 7. Where did the holes in the purse come from? Back to verse 9. Declares the Lord because of your priorities being screwed up. I punched those holes in that purse. That's why you are behind. 
Because your priorities are all messed up. That's my translation of the rest of the verse. You've left my house in ruin and have gotten busy and selfish going your own way. At this point, you've got to know that there's, that there's trouble. If you are going up against God as you're drifting in life, the course of your life is in fact throwing you across his path and is spinning your universe into turmoil. What can you do about this? Go back to verse 8. Go up to the mountain. Bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored and be with you, says the Lord. Now, I love the sheer simplicity and the grace of this verse. What God has in mind isn't complicated. There's no words of reproach. There's no groveling required by any of us. Just a simple invitation to get it back together with him. Let's go up to the mountain together, God says. Come on, join me. It's an invitation. Grab some timber. Have some fun. Do what we started out to do together. And notice there is both pleasure and honor in such a reunion. What has God got in mind for you? Think, what great adventure did God lay on your heart at a moment in time when your heart was on fire? How long has it been since he was your driving force? What has God got in store for you? I cannot help but think that God's got something exciting for you, for Ebenezer Baptist Church. And it's like we're standing at the foot of the mountain saying, where do we go? And hearing God say, come on up. Let's climb this mountain together. Take a look and see then what happens in Haggai in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the, word show, and, the, and the people showed reverence for the Lord. Notice the response. They chose to obey. They made a willful choice to come. But it was more than just a decision. It, it was, in fact, an act of worship. They did it out of the fear of the Lord. Now, it is not a quaking in the boot type of fear. This word fear describes the profound respect, the most profound respect that you could ever possibly give. So their decision was an outbreak of, of worship, a profound act to go up to the mountain. And it wasn't done just by one person or two. It was an outbreak. God recognized that fact. And then notice what he says in verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people saying, I'm with you. I'm with you on this. I'm there with you. Uh, it was a message for the people, not for the governor, not for the priest, not for the elders, not for the deacons. His blessing saturated the entire congregation so that each and every one heard those words, I am with you, with you, with you. So much so that we read in verse 14, the spirit of the entire remnant, the whole remnant, was then stirred up. Do you realize that, that the commitments of a few can become contagious? One person, two, three, waking up, it begins to spread. 
And the Spirit of God starts opening doors here and there. And it may not happen at once. In fact, if you look at verse 14 and 15, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord on, and here's where the dates come in, the 24th day of the sixth month of the second year of Darius. That's 24 days that it's taken. From the, uh, what, August 31st to September 21st of the year 520 B.C. It took that long just for them to make up their minds, 24 days, and then the party breaks out. And as I read that, I have to think it must have been tremendously satisfying, not just to God, but also to the prophet. I didn't mention it earlier, but the name Haggai literally is very unique in the Bible. You will not find any other Haggai's. It's the only time that name appears. And the name comes from the word Hag, or which is the Hebrew for a festival. And it means party. Now, can you imagine that he had spent his whole lifetime with a name tag that says, my name is Party Down. My name is Festival. But he's also spent his whole time wondering, when is it going to start? And here, it takes 24 days, and, and all God's people get together. And they get back down to business. So I come to the end of this first chapter. We'll look at the second next week. But I do so with a couple of questions to take to heart and then bring to a table of commitment. Not knowing exactly where you are, but confident that God knows exactly how to find you. And that he has been listening. That you take a moment to consider your ways. What has God given you? as this priority in your life? What will it take for God to get your attention? Does it have to take a prophet? How long will it take for God to get your attention? Where can you begin to start all over again, knowing that you can begin right now? So as we prepare for the Lord's table and doing so in remembrance of the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us and wishes us to live in partnership and in communion with him, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Oh Lord Jesus, in obedience to claim on, on, on our lives, on my life and on the life of Ebenezer, I surrender myself to you this day, all that I am and all that I have to be holy and unconditionally to you and for your using. Take us away from ourselves and our sinful preoccupation with self and use us as you will, when you will and with whom you will. And take away by loving force all that we will not give to you. Help us to know that having been crucified with Christ, we no longer live, that, but that he lives in us and, and that the life that we live today, we would live now by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. This I pray in the powerful and wonderful name of that one, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.